This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Uh, today is, of course, International Women's Day, and this year the focus is on women in leadership um, and how we can achieve an equal future in a COVID-19 world. And what better way to amplify these voices and champion champion this endeavour than to serve up an entire day of gender, non-conforming and female-focused broadcasting. My name is Flick Ford and joining me in the Triple R studio are Sally Christie. Hi Flick, we're in the actual studio together for the first time <laughs> in like a year so I'm super excited. It's kind of wild, isn't it? It is, it's crazy. I feel like we're not actually lying anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got Cerise Howard. Welcome Cerise. Hi and I'm here too. It's real. <laughs> we're in a building and in proximity to one another how delightful it is it really is yeah it is good it's just good to be back in this space and what an amazing day to come back for it going to be spotlighting women both on screen and behind the camera Um, we're going to load up our camper van and journey through the american west for chloe Zhao's recent release nomadland starring francis mcdormand as fern a woman in her 60s who after losing everything in the great recession joins a roaming community of modern day nomads then we'll go back to the 70s california for robert altman's 1977 classic three women starring shelley duvall sissy spacek and janice rule as three women who experiment with shifting identities against the stark background of the Californian desert. We'll also hear from some women in the film industry and reflect on some of our favourite actors, editors and directors, both locally and abroad. And finally, we'll offer some hot recommendations of feminist flicks to check out. Um, So I kind of feel like there's a huge responsibility for today's episode to kind of reflect on what has been, unfortunately, an industry um, dogged by... uh, Lots of uh, misrepresentation, underrepresentation of women. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to start on a positive note, but I suppose I suppose <laughs> we can always we've got plenty of time for that. Um, what What have been some of your um, earliest memories when you've come to when you first got into film? Did you feel as though there was any barriers that you were overcoming or challenges? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I still I still feel that, especially being. I think a female that is really particularly interested in genre cinema. Mm. Um, I feel that it, that's definitely quite blokey, um, which in reality it's not. But I feel, um, and I also notice that a lot with my peers as well, that there it, it seems to be um, very difficult for women to kind of find a voice, I guess, writing about genre cinema and um, being in that space that is, yeah, what we're told is kind of a really sort of bloke's world. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I felt that way when I've spoken about violence. Um, yeah. 
on screen. Things the that, that females shouldn't like. Yeah. Yep. I remember talking about how much I enjoyed The Revenant and someone telling me that it was a real boys' adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused <laughs> that I enjoyed it. How, how fun it is to be shut down, to be told what it is that you should like. Yeah, I mean, that, that's super fun always, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I always, I mean, this is a common advice given to women um, who are going to write anything on the internet, but particularly women writing about film on the internet is never to read the comments section. Mm. I know any time I've put anything up on a, on a platform, without, I'm pretty sure a lot of these people don't read what I've written, but uh, I do get a lot of comments, not always the nicest ones. I think also having said that, I do think that the um, – especially the genre community of women in Australia is very strong and very, very supportive. Um, so, yeah, I feel really quite, you know, part, part of that female community here and yeah. I think it is is really, really strong and we've got some excellent, excellent voices in Australia and, yeah. Oh, We're absolutely. all very supportive of each other. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is we create a community and, um, yeah, I've definitely found that to be true. Um, Cerise, you're involved with so many different film projects and festivals, so I'm sure you've got many different communities. And Well, I, I do, and, and with that can come a burden of representation, mm. of feeling you need to represent, I mean, for me in particular, trans, gender diverse mm. communities within the broader international women's communities mm. and... Uh, that that um, extra emotional labour that I think we often have to yes. perform just to um, just to make sure our voices are heard and then also to feel confident that what we say is um, what we wish to say that we're not even self censoring that we can feel confident to to just you know, shout out from the parapets whatever it is we feel we uh, really wish to share with the wider world. Um, and and also occasionally there's a, a, an additional burden I find within the, the trans world is I can even find myself feeling a little ghetto-wise time to time because if, if I'm trans, surely all I want to speak about is trans stuff. <laughs> I mean, really, I couldn't possibly be interested in anything else, you know? And if I sound just a little bit sarcastic and possibly even borderline bitter, well, suck it up, people. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? And I think that um, it's interesting where that question of having diversity on panels or diversity of films and making sure that um, we can just talk about whatever the hell we want as well. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that a little bit with – I think there's there's more awareness and more literacy around intersectionality in, in feminist theory, but I feel like putting that into practice is still – um, has a way to go mm -hmm. and yeah I've definitely had that feeling um, more so with with disability politics but I feel like it, it's true of everything and especially yeah, like you're saying that emotional labor or that education that we put on to say women of color disabled women trans women yeah. Um, yeah we also need to think about that but a film can be a wonderful way of tapping into that so we're going to be talking all about that today and got plenty of exciting um, women who are in the industry who are going to give us lots of um, reflections on, on that as well. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Hello, my name is Erin McCuskey. I'm a filmmaker and cine artist. I'm currently working on an original story world called Luxville. I guess one of my most favourite part of the creative process is being in the edit suite and having so much control over the story and how it seems to just unfold from underneath my fingertips. It's like being in a cinema where you are all-powerful 
And our stories are really important. They're not just important, though. They are necessary. Often, so often, we get served up, you know, three-act structures, you know, very familiar character arcs. We feel like sometimes we've seen all the stories before. However, when we ser- when we search out and seek out women's stories and women's voices and First Nations voices, then we find that story is different. There's so much more than what we are, you know, the dross that we're so often served up. And as a filmmaker, you know, a lot of people will line up to tell you you're wrong, you're too much, your ideas are silly, stupid, unmakeable. You don't need to prove any of them right or wrong. If you want to be a filmmaker, make films and seek out your own voice as well as the voices of other filmmakers who aren't getting near those mainstream cinemas. And on International Women's Day, I hope you are safe, I hope you are well, and I hope that you are surrounded by glorious women. See you at the Women's March for Justice. Well said. Um, we are, You're tuned in to Primal Screen on Triple R with Cerise Howard, Sally Christie and myself, Flick Ford. And just then you heard Erin, who is Erin McCuskey. She is a cine artist, um, talking a bit about her creative practice and the importance of representation. Erin um, is the creator of Luxville, which she describes as a fabulism to embolden us to take the risk of revealing our story and a homage to those who have never forgotten where they are from, where they are from, despite never being able to return. Erin um, and I actually chatted to each other recently for Melbourne Women in Film Festival um, alongside a panel of female filmmakers. Um, so if you're interested in checking out some of Erin's work, um, and you can even become a citizen of Luxville online at Luxville, L-U-X-Ville, V-I-L-L-E dot M-E. Or you can follow Erin at Madam Yum. So for tonight's one, yeah, it's International Women's Day here. We're talking all about women on film, women behind writing about film, women presenting on film as we are now. Um, And I think one of the things, and we were going to have Emma Westwood joining us, but instead she decided um, we, because we've got some limitations on how many people we can have in the studio, we're... um, we're going to be um, – she did direct us towards a fabulous article on Shelley Duvall. Um, so we all read it as part of our little cute feminist reading group, part, part of Primal Scream. Um, how, what did you guys think about it? I feel like I, I kind of found it very difficult read. Yeah, it's um, – so just with some context, so the, I think it was 2016 where they had that awful Dr. Phil episode mm-hmm. um, that was, you know – really um, exploited Shelley Duvall and her mental health at the time. And she, you know, was sort of a recluse before then and is, you know, sort of back in that now. And I guess framing her in a, <laughs> framing her in a different way and, you know, showing that, you know, she, she is still a person, which, yeah, um, it, it was really great to see this mm. article put out there I think you know to you know give her a human voice again for sure and also I think like in the in the I don't know if you can say aftermath of me too because it's kind of when does that ever end Mm. but um 
there's been so much, so many female, so many women who are in the film industry. We're like, oh, whatever happened? Whatever happened to that person? Where? What are they doing now? I feel like Shelley Duvall for me fits into that entire generation of women, but unfortunately continuing mm. <laughs> generation of women who just sort of slide off the screen that we don't hear from and we don't know what happened to them. Um, yeah, Cerise, you you also had a read of this. Oh, well, I did. Yeah. I did. And it was it was in the Hollywood Reporter, I mm. think. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I didn't know about the furor at the time that this Dr. Phil episode went to air, but when I did a little research into that, I thought, uh, this guy's, I mean, doctor, really? This is the most unethical mm. bit of yeah. broadcasting yeah. I've come across for a little while. Um, wholly exploitative. And 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 really sad. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, if someone's having some mental health issues, I think the last thing they need is that televised to the world in some sort of sensationalist fashion. Um, you know, and when when really she just sought to be left alone for a long time. She'd really yeah. opted out of the whole industry for quite some time. So that, that people won't respect someone's wishes like that is appalling. And then that they'll milk it for presumably ratings. Uh, yeah. All, all the worse, and and um, and she was yeah, having just revisited three women recently, which we're yeah. doubtless going to talk about soon. Uh, she's she was an astonishing screen presence, yeah. Yeah. and and so exquisitely well cast as Olive Oil by the yes. same director Robert Altman. She worked <laughs> yeah. with Altman a number of times. I think um, yeah, if I think of uh, Olive Oil, it, it is her rather than any cartoon drawing sketch. Yeah, I, yeah. I picture her immediately. Um, and the, the last thing I actually remembered her being in uh, was 1997, the Guy Madden film, Twilight of the Ice Nymphs, in which she ran an ostrich farm, a truly eccentric film from, of course, a famously eccentric filmmaker. Um, and she was, she was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't like that film very much, including Madden himself, but uh, <laughs> I liked it. And that was Yeah, what does he know? And that was probably the last time I remembered seeing her so I had forgotten about her other yeah. than when say something to do with The Shining would re-emerge and see mm-hmm. the, the, always that same sequence yeah. um, here's Johnny. It was really interesting as well to in the Hollywood Reporter article to have her speak about her involvement in The Shining because we often hear about uh, the treatment of her on set and the treatment of um, how Stanley Kubrick was towards her uh, and there is a snippet in the article where the um, the journalist says that he watches that sequence with her on, um, on the stairs in The Shining, swinging the baseball bat at Jack Nicholson, and uh, her reaction to it because she was, you know, saying it, it, the film was hard work, but um, I guess not, you know, perhaps what people are making this out to be for her, but she just felt sad that there are women that are trapped in situations yeah. like this and that was, you know, her sadness towards it and that she really wanted to revisit the film, which, yeah, I, I, th- I mm. really enjoyed reading, you know, sort of getting her insight on that because she is such a topic of conversation mm. with the way that she was treated on set there. Mm. Mm. And I notice sometimes, often when we're talking about film, there's this real emphasis on the director mm-hmm. and, you know, actors can bring so much to a role and especially when... 
there is there is those narratives, those broader social narratives to do with domestic violence or, um, you know, material that where you're just like you need to bring personal personal lived experience or an understanding to it and it really adds to that. Um, and I suppose that one of the things we wanted to focus on today, I mean, the next film we're going to be talking about is by a male director, but I think that the female p- performances in this are kind of what make it. Um, so I'll play you the clip for that now. I wonder what it's like to be twins. Huh? Twins. Better be weird. Do you think they know which one they are? Sure they do. They'd have to, wouldn't they? Set in a two-storey hotel in the Californian desert, Three Women depicts the complicated relationship between three women. A confident Texan called Millie, played by Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek as her naive co-worker Pinky, who exchanges identities in a geriatric centre at Desert Springs, and Willie, a pregnant artist who paints disturbing murals about female oppression. At different times within the film, Pinky, Millie and Willie are... so all seem to embody um, different female gender roles within the family structure, mother, daughter, sister. The film, written, produced and directed by Duvall, is based on a dream that Altman had... Uh, directed by Robert Altman. Robert Duvall, that's a, that's a different <laughs> one entirely. Uh, Robert Altman um, is based on a dream that Altman had while his wife was in hospital. Um, the idea was then adapted into a treatment under the consultation of author Patricia Resnick. Altman has argued that the way the three women deconstruct and reconstruct the family model, with the end result being a model in which there is no patriarch, is a subversion of the male-oriented world in which they live in. So, Reese, this was a film that you recommended that we revisit. Um, what, what was kind of your first, when you first watched Three Women, what was your response to it? Um, yeah, I, 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 my initial response was quite a lazy Imagine trying to pitch this film, and I thought it's sort of Ingmar Bergman's persona meets single white female. Um, and just weirdly, I just had another moment, just playing that very particular clip you just did, which yeah. so encapsulates a lot of the themes of the, the, the film, the identity slippage and, and twinning especially. And that also mm. reminded me of The Shining. Like, was Shelley Duvall in lots of films with, with twins? Yeah. Is that a thing? I don't know. It's not really perhaps that relevant, but... Um, yeah, this is such a, a an odd film. It's got such an odd mood and mm. um, very discordant score. Mm. Flute sounding really sinister, you know, sinister um, dissonant flute playing and, and eerie strings. It, there's something just a, a little hard to pin down. There's very shallow depth of field a lot of the film. It's... Um, it's got just a very peculiar sensibility. I mean, you'd instantly pick it as seventies, but it's hard to to find a tremendous amount else in common with the new Hollywood of that time. I think with this film, it does have, other than perhaps in more works by Robert Altman, um, but even then, he, he was such a sort of shapeshifter too. Um, I think he had a few identities as a filmmaker <laughs> that, that were prone to slippages as well. But it is it is fascinating seeing it. it's a real slow burn and and the way that the the identities um, do sort of just just slip and the, the power dynamics shift between especially Millie and Pinky, uh, both of them Mildreds of course actually, um, yeah it's 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 a fascinating fascinating journey um, 
And quite, yeah, perhaps it is a bit more Bergman-esque and just the persona connection too. There is just something there. He, he was so, so great at directing women. Um, and I think Altman actually was pretty darn good at directing women as well. Yeah, I think mm. so as well, especially um, yeah, his work with uh, Sandy Dennis and that cold day in the park is phenomenal. And, and then come back to the five and dime, mm-hmm. Jimmy Dean. I mean, Sandy Dennis. Yeah, wow. she's great. Yeah, so look, it's a, it's a terrific film, but it's such an... A, really odd one. Did, did you find this an odd film? Yeah, every time I, I watch Three Women, it's, it feels like a really different experience and it always feels like a really um, uncomfortable, disorientating experience. It's it, it feels like each of these women at some point in my life, I can go, okay, I, I feel I relate to this, I relate to that. Um, and it also... Yeah, it just it, the that comment that it has on women's invisibility, mm. I think, is really outstanding. Um, there's points, particularly with Shelley Duvall's character Millie, where when I was watching it this time, I was just questioning if she even exists at all. The way that she's treated by people around her, and um, you know, the lack of acknowledgement and all this, you know, everything that's going on. But it is um, a really discombobulating movie to watch. And from, right from the word go, the opening sequence where we um, see them, you know, just legs and crutches of people walking into a shallow pool is, and, and that score that Cerise was just talking about, um, is really off-putting. Uh, I, when I rewatched this this week, I watched it with um, a really good pair of sort of noise-cancelling headphones, and it was a really interesting experience, especially just to see what these background characters were saying about Millie as she's walking past. Mm. I could hear that really well, which I'd never heard before. Um, but, yeah, the kind of doubling and also looking at what roles women should be fulfilling as well. I think there's the film comments excellently on that where we've got this kind of maiden mother kind of crone archetypes that we look at throughout this film and how should women behave in these roles and what happens if they don't behave this way. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a really uncomfortable movie, but it's, mm. an, it's an absolute masterpiece. I, I love it. And all the performances in it are outstanding. And especially Sissy Spacek, I think she'd just come off the back of um, just finished working on Carrie. And there is, yeah, such a, a sweetness to her and I guess that way that she is able to really switch those um, from those roles, which we see her do in Carrie as well, yeah. is pretty, yeah, outstanding. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And it's so fascinating having that intertextuality of of her coming from that role and what you're bringing to it. And, mm. and even like this sense of kind of femme, feminist on screen. And, yep. and, and I love that. I mean, the idea of women and horror being intrinsically bound together on film is, you know, is something that, you know, is the story of, of entire university courses. But I think that there's something beautiful about this inter- strange intimacy between these women. And the doubling, I think, works into the way in which we often female identity is something that just seems, I mean, it's a construct. So it's just this idea of what you do with that. Mm. And I, I really, um, I remember watching this, I'm embarrassed to say the first time I saw it, was only um, oh, it would have been a few years ago. It was when Cinematheque we were doing a um, an Altman Altman special, and so I watched it alongside like California Split and um, oh, what is it? Short uh, what is it? Short Tales? Is that the one of shortcuts? Shortcuts, of course. Which uh, you know, 
I love, absolutely love those films. And I thought it was interesting the way in which I was imp- I was amazed at this um, this investigation of female psyche through um, this kind of almost very pretty outset of kind of performativity and, and kind of female bonding. And mm. I love that there's a real sense of dark humour to that. And the clip that I played I think has this really beautiful dark comedy to it. Um, I was really taken by it. I love the thought of it and I agree with both of you about that sense of feeling really discombobulated and kind of um, a kind of a disease. Um, and I think that that's that beautiful dreamlike quality that just – it kind of almost feels like you've just been uh, too much heat in the Californian yeah. yep. Californian sun. And you're kind of – yeah, I, I um, was really amazed by this film. I remember it getting under my skin – yeah, it does. And I also think it's worth mentioning that um, art direction in this film is incredible mm. as well. Like, yeah, really beautiful. The paintings in it are outstanding. Millie's apartment is fantastic. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> I love him how she's always like, you know, Pinky's presented as this complete, you know, noob. And she's just like, oh, maybe she hasn't been in a decorated apartment before. before. <laughs> Which there's a real power play there, and, and it, codependency, yeah. they're completely codependent on each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, um, did, did this film make you feel uneasy, partly too, because of the the trademark Robert Altman overlapping dialogues? But here, it largely seemed like it could even be internalized neurotic <laughs> yes. voices just yeah. cut, sniping away at Millie's yes. self esteem. Yes, because so almost true. all of the time she's walking around, you just hear other voices just <laughs> just, uh, just speaking to how much they don't really want her. You know, to, to hang out with yeah, her, it's, exactly. it's really yeah. horrible. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, look, I, I highly recommend seeing through. I think it's like one of those essential, essential. If you're kind of a cinephile, but even if you just want to see some really amazing, dreamy Californian desert, um, Three Women is really a beautiful case study. Um, even for you know for acting alone, it's mm. uh, remarkable. Um, it's available to rent or buy on Google Play, YouTube, and also Amazon. Uh, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. One hundred two point seven. My name is Grace Moore and I am a film director and editor from Melbourne. I specialise in fashion and documentary film. I also run a visual production house with two incredible women and we're called Alt House and we're based in Fitzroy. The greatest challenge for women in the film industry is the lack of opportunities in technical roles such as camera, lighting, editing, colour grading and sound design. There is unfortunately a strong history of camera being dominated by men and I think that this lack of representation, it definitely persists today and it's a challenge because I think it directly affects a person's ability to see themselves in that role or that space if there are very few role models visible to them and I think that this ultimately can lead to a lack of confidence in women filmmakers I think as well it can create an exclusionary culture so when women do make it to these technical roles they're put in a position where they have to either uh, quietly submit to the existing culture or be loud and argumentative and fight to make the necessary changes 
So neither of those spaces are a particularly easy uh, place to find yourself. The responsibility of film very simply is to tell our stories on our terms. Unfortunately, things like violence and discrimination and sexual harassment are part of every female identifying person's reality. And what we can do is tell our stories of these experiences in a way that validates us and educates others. We need women on screen and behind the camera because the camera is a tool that is an extension of the human brain. So if we don't have women in these key technical roles, we are missing an integral part of telling these stories. You know, it's about the hands that move the camera or it's about uh, the softness of a light on somebody's face and it's about a performance that is raw and true to real life. So if we don't have diversity in any crew, it doesn't even have to relate to gender. If we don't have diversity, we're missing integral parts of storytelling. The best advice I can give to women wanting to make films is uh, bloody back yourself. (laughs) I mean that. I think if the story resonates with you, then it will definitely resonate with other people. So don't lose confidence if you don't know how to do something. You can ask for help. You can consult the community. And if it's your idea, you are the best person to make the film. Uh, I'd like to recommend a film that I saw recently. It's Nomadland by Chloe Zhao. I really enjoyed this film and its nuance and complexities. The characters were simultaneously vulnerable and just incredibly tough. They were at the same time powerful and powerless and I think it's really a masterpiece of uh, women of a certain generation who have kind of been overlooked in their older age. And I think it's just a beautiful, a beautiful film. Yeah. Thank you so much. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. We're spotlighting women in film, both on screen and behind the camera. Earlier, we returned to the 1977 desert drama Three Women, starring Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek and Janice Rule. And now we're going to journey to... I've just got to set it up. It always helps if I (laughs) do that beforehand. We're going to journey across the American West for a film uh, for our second feature of the night and one that actually comes recommended by Grace Moore. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? Nomadland tells the story of Fern, played by Frances McDormand, a woman in her 60s who embarks on a journey across western United States after losing everything in the Great Recession. Joining up with a roaming community of camper vans and trailers, Fern becomes a modern-day nomad, moving from city to city in search of work. 
The film features David Stratham in a supporting role as well as real-life nomads Linda May, Swanky and Bob Wells as fictionalised versions of themselves. It's based on a 2017 non-fiction book entitled Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. It's directed by Chloe Zhao. Um, Nomadland it reveals the crisis of America's working class displaced by financial difficulty. And this weekend, it was announced that Michael Wolf Snyder, the production sound mixer on Nomadland, had died by suicide. Snyder uh, also worked with Zhao on her 2017 film The Rider. Now, last Sunday, Zhao won the Golden Globe for Best Director for Nomadland, becoming the first Asian women, woman to win the prize. Nomadland was also nominated for three other awards, including Best Motion Picture for a Drama. Here in Melbourne, the film had a short preview at the end of the year and has now returned to the cinema. Um, Sally, we were talking about this off air, but when did you saw the film this morning? Um, you're probably <laughs> a, bit soon, a bit fresh to be talking about it, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that this um, film really beautifully captured, I guess, the contrasting nature of, of America. America is a really visually beautiful country. There is such beautiful nature in America. Um that, I mean, often in cinema we focus on kind of big cities, but we see, you know, this as she's travelling through and it, it really captured that, you know, incredibly. But also the harsh reality of trying to, I guess, live in America if you're not rich is also incredibly difficult. Um, it opened up a interesting conversation, I think, that... We don't see a lot in cinema, which is the difficulties of old women and employment. Yeah. Um, I know in Australia, I think that um, women 55 plus are the fastest growing group of homeless people. Um, and obviously this is American based, but we see the character of Fern consistently, you know, trying to get work, getting work that is, you know, very um, minimum wage sort of work and... Um, we don't quite know for, I guess, some time in the film if she's been forced into her nomad life via circumstance or if it's something that she really genuinely wants, which also brings up, I thought, another really amazing point in this film where she's consistently been told by people about how she should enjoy life, what kind of comfort she ha- she should have to be enjoying life Um and, you know, it's it's very possible that, you know, to enjoy life in the way that she was, which we see some of the um, the other characters in the film, uh, you know, talking about how they love it. They love the freedom um, and it's completely fine that they don't have, you know, a two-storey home and a guest house and all this sort of stuff or a proper bathroom. Um, one other thing I really loved about this film was seeing lines in people's faces. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. I yeah. loved the, the close-ups on people's faces and um, – the crevices in them and, yeah, I thought that was really, really beautiful. So it captured, I think, a lot that we don't often see on the big screen. Mm, yeah, not least uh, in a Disney movie typically, but this is a Disney distributed film. Yeah. Yeah, wow, I actually didn't know that. I know, <laughs> Glad I was sitting down for yeah. that news. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. well, too, too, too much, too soon. Um, yeah, like, it's sort of... Um, has a bit of a, a Marxist neo-realist road movie vibe about it. Uh, it's it was quite shocking to me to see um, uh, the, a, a huge trailer park set out as part of uh, Amazon's um, 
offering to its workers. Like there, there's a whole workforce they evidently uh, utilize who live on site in their trailers. Um, I can say some vast um, trailer park there, mm. uh, and, and work seasonally. And and that you know, I, I felt profoundly ambivalent about that. It seems both enabling but also extremely. Cynical at the same mm. time. Yes, it gives people a working wage, but also um, it just seems so minimal. Yeah. But, well, you know, but America famously uh, you know, is not a place that is especially kind to people who are down on their luck. And this, this film is very much uh, about, about that, uh, a, a country in which health insurance often goes hand in glove with work. And if mm. you don't have stable work, you probably don't have health insurance and... That doesn't come up directly in the film, I don't think necessarily, but it, it's clearly a. This is Trump's America we're seeing here, and it's um, it's harsh and yet mm. beautiful, as you say, Sally. We do get to see some gorgeous lands, and we do get to see some people actually enjoying being in that land and off the grid and being able to be a bit um, uh, self-sustained and take some pride in that. At the same time, as acknowledging that it's a really precarious. Uh, way to be and if you don't know how to for example change a tire um, (laughs) it could be the end of you Um, so it's it's very sobering it 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 straddles a really uh, fine line I think quite well it doesn't too much sentimentalize or romanticize their nomadic ways um uh, that's that's quite difficult, I think. To, mm. You know, that's a quite difficult accomplishment. I mean, the, the entire soundtrack is in a minor key. I mean, it's all quite gentle and and a little morose, but without ever feeling too downbeat mm. or too upbeat. It is actually quite an achievement, I think. Yeah, it is. It is a very delicate balance, isn't it? And I feel like I watched this film and was in a kind of wonderful, wonderfully reflective space afterwards for a long time sort of in the aftermath of it, just processing it. And like you were saying, Sal, having not just women on screen but having this older woman at the centre and we so rarely see that on screen and also, um, yeah, people from who are doing it really rough who are either homeless or or kind of unable to um, have to work, move around for work, um, like you were saying, Cerise. I actually, the, the thing that I thought most about watching this was I'd read a book um, called Heartland by Sarah Smarsh that is kind of, talks about growing up poor in America and, and being white and poor. And it's a really uh, fantastic book and I hi- highly recommend it. But I think that Nomadland really occupies that same space and it's, it's interesting that it never, I think... Uh, I have heard that other people have found it to go too much into that poverty point. I've personally thought that it was really quite restrained and always managed to come back. But the thing that stood out to me the most was that question of agency and being able to – I was so used to seeing the American landscape as this um, – something to be mastered in Western films or something to be claimed. And I think that what I loved about most about this film is just – the way in which that mixture of documentary and drama on a formal sense played out on both the story that it was telling. I thought that there was this really beautiful pairing there between the theme and the, the character development but also with with how it was being presented on screen. And, yeah, the score is really beautiful and Frances McDormand, all those close-ups of her face were so powerful. And I kind of – I just really like her as a as a 
as an actor. I think she's also, really fascinating. Um, I think, is it, was it Linda May? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. her face is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Just incredible. Yep. Yeah. And and seeing that kind of companionship beyond a a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's a dependency there in that community, um, which is really beautiful, but also a, a, an independence of sorts. Um Anyway, if you are interested in checking out, and sorry, just as a reminder, and I know I mentioned um, the death of um, of Snyder, the the sound producer earlier. Just as a reminder that um, if any if any listeners are affected by tonight's discussion, there is of course always help on hand, and you can call Lifeline one three one 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 four Beyond Blue on thirteen hundred two two four six three six, and both services are available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. If you are interested in, in seeing Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, it is currently screening at independent and major cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen. This has been a special broadcast on Triple R for International Women's Day with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we celebrated women in film both behind the camera and on screen. We revisited three women from 1977, starring Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek and Janice Rule. Three Women is currently available to rent or buy on Google Play, YouTube and Amazon. And just prior, we reviewed Chloe Zhao's award-winning drama Nomadland starring Frances McDormand which is currently screening at independent and major uh, cinemas here in Australia. Uh, we also heard at the start from creative director of Yum Studio, um, cine artist Erin um, McCuskey whose short films recently featured at the Melbourne Women in Film Festival and we had local filmmaker and documentarian Grace Moore talk about some of the challenges female identifying people face in the film industry and the role of and responsibility, I suppose, of film in those endeavours. And you can check out her production company, Alt House. Um, before we finish up, I wanted to ask for some recommendations of other films that listeners should check out for empowering representations of women on film or win- women or gender non-conforming artists working in the industry that we should know about. Um, Cerise, what are, what are some, of the, some films or characters that have stood out for you? Well, I, I will always point people towards Vera Khetilova's Daisies, um, the most joyous, anarchic explosion of 60s pop surrealist uh, behind the Iron Curtain, feminist, uh, just back to that, to anarchy. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's genius, it's endlessly entertaining, and uh, it lands quite a few blows against the patriarchy en route to an extremely riotous climax. Any of her work, though, is worth checking out. She is never dull. Um, there are so many other extraordinary women filmmakers from um, the Soviet bloc, actually. And at a time when the state subsidised filmmaking, it actually perversely gave women opportunities that capitalism at the same time often didn't. So look out for films by Larissa Shapitko. Uh, look out for films by Marta Mesorosh. Um there were Vonda Jakubowska. There were a whole array of uh, incredible women filmmakers um, in communist times um, in the in the up you know, Cold War era. So many, so much worth mining there. Um, that's that's where I would put point people to first because that's just an area of particular passion of mine as well. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about today 
in particular being, um, you know, knowing I was coming on the show tonight, International Women's Day, is thinking about women that have, I guess, been involved behind the screen that get lost behind their husbands. Mm. Um, Daria Nicolodi, who was Dario Argento's wife, who passed away earlier this year, we um, last year... I don't know who knows what year it is anymore. <laughs> but we spoke briefly about her on the show and, um, you know, just her importance with such iconic films as, you know, Suspiria and Deep Red, which I think was released like today in 1975. Is So we're having a Deep Red anniversary. Um, and just, yeah, her importance to an, a, Italian cinema and is, you know, would really get lost behind, you know, her husband's title as a director. And also um, Polly Platt, who Karina Longworth dedicated an entire podcast series of You Must Remember This too this year. She was um, married to Peter uh, Bogdanovich and her work as, you know, an art director, producer um, on like The Last Picture Show, What's Up Doc, Pretty Baby, also her getting Wes Anderson's career off the ground. Um, her her con- contribution to the field was phenomenal and, yeah, it was just, I guess, so many women around that time and I'm guessing – probably still now, who do all this labour aren't getting recognised um, because, you know, a male name's kind of going in front of that, which, yeah, is upsetting. <laughs> so, Absolutely. yeah, look, to say look, the least. Look at that work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I was thinking a lot about the way – I feel like it's 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 always so important to spotlight the, these films and, and these um, artists. And I was, I was thinking a lot about like recent films that are, are out right now that I can kind of recommend and not so much for um, more so the characters that stood out to me recently. So in, I was just thinking about really strong on-screen representations that I've seen. And I thought um, the recent, recent reviews that we've done, The Nest had Carrie Coon in this amazing marital drama. Bloody great, that she, film. Yeah, yeah. sensational. Um, and I was also thinking High Ground had um, Esmeralda who um, – she just was amazing on screen. She had so much strength to her character and it just really got under my skin. I thought that she just communicated something. And, yeah, I, I, I suppose I was trying to think of, of actors and, and characters because I think that often that's kind of where, you know, we, know, we don't need just representation behind the screen. We need it on uh, – sorry, on screen, but we need it for people who are creating these stories. Mm-hmm. So um, any opportunity we've got to spotlight these films and these artists um, is something we want to do on this show, but we, we can also um, – I don't know. We love talking about films, so <laughs> <laughs> I just get excited about it. Anyway, look, we've, we haven't got much time left. Um, I want to give a special shout-out to Morty Osborne, who edits our Primal Screen podcast every week. Um, you can subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Uh, next week – Uh, The Melbourne Queer Film Festival is kicking off this Thursday and so on next week's show we're going to be spotlighting some of the films featured in the festival. So make sure you tune in for, for that. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 